And I find it really, you know, I find it quite sad that queer identity has become so boring and yet so bloody factional as well. We're supposed to be at the top end of the cultural pyramid telling everybody else how to do their shit. And it feels like now we've kind of lost our shit a bit. But anyway, that's the whole different story. I am Kay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories they created there, and the people that they used to know. Timberlina is the world's number one ecologically-minded bearded drag lady, and also a previous guest of the podcast. We had such a fun, rambling, meandering conversation the last time that we decided to get together and do it all again. And this time, we talked about Timberlina's time nannying for a young family in Westchester County, north of New York City. On weekends, she would mostly flee to the bright lights of the Big Apple, exploring the queer scene in Manhattan, but occasionally she would venture to an out-of-the-way bar called Triangles, which was in Connecticut. We caught up to talk about being queer in the 90s, chasing excitement and community, and we also read over the online reviews for the bar, which I found kind of fun. There was a poster in the sixth form common room. Um, I, had quite a, I had quite an odd time during my teen years, and it subsequently ended up, long story short, going from a quite a formal grammar school to a very happy-go-lucky comprehensive. Um, and then in, in that last year of, uh, which would have put in the A levels, that year, last year of um, high school, I... Um, had so much more fun than I'd had previously, but I subsequently flunked my A-levels. Well, I got very low marks. Anyway, I knew for whatever reason that I was going to go to the States. I just wasn't quite sure how this was all going to materialize. And there was a poster outside the common room and it was for au pair in America. And so I just thought, oh, okay. And, you know, and it was like, you know, be paid to live there. Have a visa. Live in, you know, live live with a family. Get to really get your, you know, get your fingers in the dirt of, of the culture that you're living in. <laughs> and I thought, well, this sounds great. Um, and so I obviously there was no internet, and half the time it takes me quite. I have to take a moment and really think about how I must have orchestrated these things because there was no internet. So I, I, you know, I couldn't get my smartphone out and relay the poster to my phone. I would have had to written down probably a phone number um, or an address. I would then have to have written the letter or called the number to have <laughs> got the application form. Oh, it's exhausting. I know. This, this <laughs> like May. So this, this would have been May or June. So I'm, already, I'm just about to do my A-levels. I'm also teaching French kids here. And then I'm also, by snail mail, 
orchestrating an application with Opera in America, which meant that I had to go for an interview at some funny hotel somewhere in North London. And I have absolutely no recollection of how that all worked out, other than maybe I borrowed my mum's car to get there. Anyway. <laughs> but it all came together. Anyway, it all came together. I would have used an 80 to get there. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> I digress already. I'm not even there yet. Anyway, it all came together, and the the one and I mean, obviously they were they were very um, they stressed the fact that there weren't many boy nannies, but that they were quite in demand. So that this would probably be a really good opening, and you know they seemed very they seemed very positive about my whole application. And um, the one and only family that called me up was the Stern Moors of Mount Kisco, New York, and um, we I think they sent. So, so basically, my, for want of a better term, portfolio would would, would have gone to them, goes to all these families with your glamour like shots, with my glamour exactly, with all my headshots and uh, and all of my you know screen, my screen, my video reel, reel, my show reel, um, and these families go through all the stuff, and then they call up their people at the, at the opera agency, and then they say yes, we'll have we'll have Tim, and so that was it. So they said, and so subsequently, then they contact me, and I say, yeah, of course I'm interested. Are you crazy? So then they say, great, well we're going to send you their portfolio, their you know their brochure, and so <clears throat> I get this lovely letter from them, the family, all the pics of all the you know the family at the time. They had two boys. One was about to be born. That's why they wanted to get. And they were really into getting a male au pair because. They had two boys. They were having it. They were going to have a third kid, boy. Um, they had lived in the city for many, many years. Um, Steph was originally from New York, anyway, from New Rochelle in Westchester, right down near near Manhattan. Uh, John was from Ohio, but they, you know, as I say, lived in Manhattan, met in Manhattan, were a total like lived down in Tribeca. It ticked every box I could possibly have wanted. And we're now living in Westchester, which is just north of the city. And, um, you know, uh, well, of course, I, mean, I wasn't going to say no anyway. So I just said, yeah, great. So it all worked out that we had a radio, we had a, would have had a telephone interview, me and the parents. <clears throat> and um, we, we, we got on really well. And that was it. So I still delivered. They, they then sort of give the green light. Um, I, get a visa um, and I hop on a plane and then I I get on a plane with, uh, I don't know, like 60, 100 other au pairs on there. And you yeah. just like so, just, just going to live in a house yeah, with a bunch yeah, of strangers. Yeah, yeah but it, what was good about it was, in fact, um, ironically, it was the last year that they let men or young, young men and boys, as it were, to become my pet uh, after that. I mean, it wouldn't stand up in the single equality bill, but at the time, that's what they were doing. I mean, I don't for whatever reason, maybe they weren't just weren't enough applicants, but anyway. But yeah, it was totally legit. So au pair in America, you would fly over to New York and that's where everybody would congregate. All these au pairs would converge from all over the world, you know, and there were people from all over Europe um, who were going to America to be au pairs. And then you would you'd land in New York, you'd have three days orientation in New York. And then everybody would go their separate ways. And most, you know, everybody was going all, uh, you know, all other places. I was quite lucky to, to be that close to me. I mean, and I've always wanted to go to New York. Don't get me wrong. New York was kind of it. So yeah, the yeah. fact that, you know, I was living. And also, but added bonus to that also was being in Westchester. I mean, that it, there was a double whammy as, as it emerged. It was because it's, you know, it was like 50-minute train ride from the city. And yet you are in the most spectacular 
landscape. Uh, it was like Mary Poppins, and not Mary Poppins, um, Snow White. It was basically like a Disney film. Any any Disney, any of the Disney films. It was basically like, yeah. <laughs> So like um, woodland creatures coming out to sing with yes, you. Yes, woodland so, yeah. creatures coming out to, to sing. All of a sudden, various uh, pieces of crockery would burst into song, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I'm assuming it went well in terms of like... It was fantastic. Oh, okay. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Yeah, I was green as cabbage looking the first year I was there. I was eighteen. I was very aware of being underage, so to speak. You have to be twenty-one to do well to imbibe um, there. Um, I think I did. I think I met, it was it was an interesting time as well because so where were we? This is ninety-one, and so like you know, trance and warehouse parties were coming into their own. Uh, I'm going to go off on one now, actually, but please feel free to bring me back to Kilter. But I'm just sort of giving you an idea. So, you know, it, it's like the first, so for example, I was from a seaside town called Fringenon-Sea, which is where I grew up, um, Clapton, Essex, basically, the posh bit. And, you know, when I went to London for the first time to go clubbing, I took a suit because I thought when you go clubbing, you wear a suit. <gasps> So there we are. We turn up at the Brain Club on Wardour Street, which I think then became the, uh, what do you call it, Trash Palace later. But yeah, Brain, the Brain Club was, was unbelievable. Yeah, we turn up in a suit. And I just remember the bounce on the door. It was like, you know, loose it up, mate. And undid my tie a bit. And I was obviously terrified. But then we went into this club in London. We were the only people wearing formal wear. I was with my friend Liz and she was dolled up and I was in a suit and everybody else wearing baggy T-shirts and probably on ecstasy. So... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I wasn't I wasn't really adept at going out anyway. So to know that I was now in this city where the, where, you know, the legal age was 21, I was all very like, well, in which case I mustn't go anywhere. I mustn't go to a pub because I'm underage. I didn't think, oh, sod that for game of soldiers. I'm just going to try my <laughs> low place. I kind of abided by it. <clears throat> but um, I did meet some incredible people and i you know i did end up kind of going out of various places in town and and, in the city and and it was amazing so then what was the deal in terms of nannying was it like a five days a week and then you've got the weekend off or yeah basically that was it i had five um i had thursday afternoons off friday nights i would have to work because that was the date night so the parents would go out for dinner which i always thought was a really good idea they would go out for dinner every friday night and they would just check in reconnect with each other have a child-free moment i would stay at home with the kids and we would watch a Walt disney film so on the weekend you were free and then exactly so then i would either stay in Mount Kisco or more often than not i would hop on the cosmic wagon train first thing on a saturday morning or even on a friday night and head into the city and um especially the second time i was there 95 96 i would often go in on a friday and not come back until sunday and they were very cool with that and that was fine ah so the timeline here is that you were there for a year from 91 and then you went back later on in 95 is correct so i was there from 91 to 92 i like to call that my um my orientation period (laughs) <laughs> just like figuring it out but then so 95 96 you were back yeah. with this same family i was back with the same family yeah. oh how weird but if you think about it that's only three years because i got back in 92 in sort of uh august september 92 and then it was the summer of 95 that i went back so actually that's only three years which isn't that long no. and then so how did that work out did they just get in touch with you 
directly and like hey, oh my god back. yeah totally and and again there was no internet and there, it was really weird i was literally sleeping behind on the floor behind a couch you couldn't make it up in a friend's uh flat slash house in stoke newington and i had had i'd had a cycling accident i broken my leg severed a cruciate ligament for those who are interested in broken legs and um sort of rendered myself completely you know like written that the last the second quarter of the year off and then i was kind of feeling a little bit disillusioned with my university course and so i'm living in this house on someone's floor in stone newington and the phone rings and it's for me and it was like well what's happened it's got to be my mum because she was the only person who had the number where i was and they were like, no, it's, it's somebody called Steph. And I was like, oh, my God. So I get on the phone and it's Steph. It's Steph, the mother of the family. And we, we stayed in touch. You know, don't get me wrong. I got, we, we were like, you know, they're literally like a family to me. And we, to this day, we're uh, in touch regularly. And um, it was Steph on the phone. There I am, completely mesmerized. I was like, well, you know, how, well, well, what's going on? How come you were clearly got the number from my mum? And what's going on? How, why, you know, it's great that you, you've called me. It's so great to hear from you. How are you doing? So then she started sort of saying, well, you know, they've had this wild child au pair. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of really made them feel like they've sort of slightly gone off the rails a bit and they really kind of want to bring it back. And they really missed me being there. And I was saying, oh my God, I really miss being there. I'm just having it's a really weird year and I broke my leg and I'm really disenchanted with college and then it's like both of us the penny dropped it was like you know what I really could use is a year away and she was like what we could really use is, is, is you come back you know like and it was like oh okay so should I come back then would that would that work and she was like well yeah are you serious I said well yes but um I you know we got to get a visa I don't want to be illegal because I didn't want to jeopardize my chances of ever going back again because mm. and also as I, as I said, I was green and cabbage looking. So I was just like, you know, got to be legit. Terrified of authority. Anyway, um, so she was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. So, and, the, and, the, and then, so that, and that was it. So that was uh, in the July and the August. And then I think it was the end of the August. I, you know, literally put the phone down. I was like, okay, guys, I'll see you later. I'm going to, I'm going to the States. And um, I think it took like a, maybe a, a couple of weeks to sort out the, 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 the visa uh, maybe a month, and then I just got on a plane and, and went back to New York. Oh, wow. And it was a whole, it was, it was talk about step up. It was like a whole different experience. Going back was, was brilliant. It was amazing. So, what would you say are the main differences then between the first time you were there and the second time? I think landing there and being totally familiar with all of the geography and where everything is. Um, and, 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 Sort of having this familiarity with it as well, you know, because what am I? I'm 24. Um, so st still there, like a year somewhere. But then also, you know, subsequently, every summer I would go there for a month or two months, you know. So, you know, this is a place where I've spent quite a lot of my time already. It was really felt like being able to pop home um, and, you know, and see, the see that family, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, 
And that was amazing. But then also having another, a new sense of confidence because now I was not 18 anymore. Now I was, you know, in my mid, uh, early mid twenties. So I was, you know, I was perfectly happy and very at ease with then going out. So that was a whole new world, which I was then going to step into. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, that was really exciting. That was really exciting. It, it was, I think it was probably the first time I'd, I'd felt really sort of confident in what I was doing, you know. Uh, and when you say doing, do you mean everything or? Yeah, I mean everything. I think in terms of the job, because I knew the kids and we'd been in touch. So the, 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 there was no, you know, even though they're very young and that's a very, can be a very difficult issue, um, you know, because if you, you Kids don't necessarily have a sort of facial memory until they're like one or certainly before they're one. Um, and so I had carried on the relationship with the kids. So they were aware with who I was. And, you know, so that kind of beefed up that role. I mean, one of them was, was problematic and that was that was the whole. I mean, I hadn't bargained for that. But that was really interesting just working on that. One of them was it was the early days when kids started being diagnosed with ADD and ADHD and how that all worked. And that was really, really fascinating. I think the culture had slightly changed. So now everything we were just beginning to have uh, emails. So that made me feel somehow like I was, you know, I really felt like at the time the the, the phrase coined was a global citizen. <laughs> you know, this was the 90s. We were all listening to global trance and going to warehouse parties and, you know, taking drugs that brought us all together. Um, and I felt like I was kind of living that, you know, I'd just been studying popular cultural communication, sociology, art history. I was going to go back and live with a couple of essentially artists who were living upstate. I knew, you know, they were like mentors as much as they were like employees. Mm. Um, and it was like, it was kind of like taking a, you know, sort of doing a foundation course in, in some respects. Mm. So tell me about triangles in Connecticut. Wow. So there are two avenues for rendezvous. Um, Sometimes on a Friday night, I'd want to go out, but I didn't want to go into the city for whatever reason, or I didn't want to go to a straight pub, straight bar, of which there are many. And also DWI is really hardcore. That's the, you know, if you get caught drunk while intoxicated, that, you know, that's a huge issue. That whole thing is really pumped into you. So, you know, you're very aware of that. And I looked up where there was a, the nearest gay bar, which ironically was like an hour's drive. So you might as well have gone into the city. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was on the outskirts of a small town in Connecticut called Danbury. Um, and there was a, a bar called Triangles. And it was just how you would imagine it in terms of it like being in this kind of like graveled, rubbled kind of giant car park, almost like a truck stop, you know, and this bar in the middle of this giant sort of car park and a big sign on the, on the road, triangles. And the, but that was it. I thought it just said, it didn't even, it didn't have a pink triangle. There was nothing suggested. And maybe it had a little one sort of on the building. But it was all, it was pretty discreet. Or was it discreet? <laughs> now, now that I now that I think about it, I, th- I think also because you know it was it was it was full of peeps who was sort of like on the on the cusp of of people who had second homes up in Connecticut or in that part of New York or lived 
you know, in, in the area of which they're about. So you, you had this funny mix of incredibly rich Chelsea bunnies mm. who were in their country retreat for the weekend. Um, but then you also had quite a lot of, of, of local uh, kids, misfits, just, you know, the usual queers, be they straight or, you know, batting for the same team or just wanting somewhere else to go and have a good time, mm. like-minded people. Um, and that, you know, that was like a revelation. And it was cool. And I went, I mean, I can't I think I must have started going there pretty soon after I, I landed because I was chomping at the bit at this point to, to just go and explore everything. And, uh, you know, as a young, mid-20 queer uh, with this newfound confidence, you know, and now being of age, of legal age, I was like, yeah, give me, you know, give me the directory. I'm going everywhere. And I had this car that I could use whenever I wanted. Um, and of course, the bars were open until super late. So even like on a, so it would be like the typical situation would be on a Friday night, the parents maybe were out till like, say, 10 or 11, which was, you know, pretty kind of late. Yeah. And I'd be like, right, I'm going to go out. And it would be sort of too late to go into the city at this point. So I would just, you know, I would get in the car and I would drive like an hour <laughs> to go to a bar <laughs> for an hour and then drive back. It would say three hours. I'd have been in the bar for like an hour. Um, and it was kooky. I met a really good bunch of kooks there. We, I say that, I, and I mean kook in the, in the most sort of warm way. You know, people, like-minded people who were just like, you know, similar kind of thoughts, queer as fuck. Just non-conformist, I think, also. also. But also, you know, very camp, provincial queens who you kind of wanted them to go into the city because you knew they would be amazing. But at the same time, they were so enveloped in their sort of upstate mentality or so dare I use the term provincial (laughs) that it was never something that they did and I just found that amazing but I've always found that interesting as somebody who's from like you know Essex like the number of people that you meet who've never actually been to London who live outside just outside London who never go into the city but at the same time here New York and we're like well well, do you ever go out in the city I was like well you know why why you go out in the city they were like well you know it's a long way it's expensive da 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 you know up here most of them are doing college degrees a lot of people are doing like college degrees so having to work full time as well as do their college degrees so yeah but isn't isn't that fascinating because it's not not that far away from New York no I know absolutely absolutely and then there was a guy called Stefan who was a film buff. And I used to watch a lot of films. I used to go to the cinema every possible opportunity. And, of course, Blockbusters was a the thing then. So, And Blockbusters always had us. And there were also other independent video stores. That There was Camel Video in Yorktown Heights, which was the most fantastic independent video store. Um, and they would have really kind of weird shit. Like, I think that's where I kind of found Fellini and all that kind of old stuff. And you know, you could get all this stuff in the local video stores. But anyway, triangles. triangles. Yeah, so triangles. So we are going down a uh, yes. winding country road. Is it a country it? road or a highway? Yes. No, no, it's country roads. Well, there were two ways. You could either, you could take Route 684 up and then do a right on some other highway and then come off the highway but i was always so terrified i would miss the turn off and end up in like maine or something <laughs> i would always travel to, along and i always sort of enjoyed going down the country roads as terrifying as they can be at night especially if it's raining or it's wintry and you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't know where you are those american highways every american horror film 
comes into your mind when you're driving. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I laughed then. So we're no, no, heading no. down this road. Um, so we're heading down this road. <laughs> and then, like, so it's just like a building on the side of the yeah. road. And are there other buildings next to it or is it just on no, its no, own? No, no. So it's like, you know, when you, go, you know when you see a truck stop? Yeah. We have truck stops here, lorry stop. You know when you see like a cafe for lorries? Yeah. So there'll be a big expanse of a car park. Maybe there's some like conifers around the edge of it. And then in the middle of that car park, there will be just literally a square building. Maybe in the corner there's maybe some kind of like petrol station thing. But there, there will succinctly be like a cafe thing right in the middle of this thing in, in this in this car park. Uh, so yeah, you're driving along the, the road, and then you would pull into this giant car park thing, and there would be this. I don't want to use terms like hick or hillbilly bar spring to mind. Which, you know, <laughs> but 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 kind of is it like a shed? Yes, kind of like a okay. shed. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. On the outside, but then when you go inside, there's mirrors for days, and a dance floor, and a bar, and you know it was cool. On the outside, yeah, it looked like a den of iniquity. On the inside, it was kind, you know, it was kind of shishi. You went downstairs, it was kind of sunken, and then it was sunken some more to the big dance floor, and there were mirrors everywhere, and the dance floor up, and then there was a big bar, and I think there was a lounge area. You could go into a lounge area. And just hang out in the booths, and there was a little dance floor there. And then downstairs, there was another dance floor. I think there was a downstairs. Yeah, there was a downstairs because I remember there was a pageant. <laughs> How many downstairs was there? Just one downstairs? Just one. Just okay. one. And when I say downstairs, I mean like from a mezzanine to a dance floor. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and then so this mirror thing, tell me about it. So you come in and you're just surrounded by mirrors? See, so you come in and it's dark. And there'll be some down lights and there'll be a little corridor. You go past the ticket. There'll be a ticket desk clerk and security. Then you'll go through a little corridor. And then I think it was like a coat check on the right. And then I think there were stairs there down to this dance floor area. But then I think also behind the stairs, was the, the, the corridor kind of went round, creating a balcony to the stairs into this other lounge area, which maybe had... Like, it was more of a cabaret area, like more of a cabaret bar, which maybe had a little stage, which I never saw really being used because everything was downstairs. Um, and the, But there were these booths, and it was just, you know, a bit more intimate. And then you had this long bar with sassy barmen, one of whom I did have a liaison with. Just, yeah, I had to climb through his window to get out of his house. Oh, okay. We well, okay. So we're, we will. I'm scribbling this down. I'm going to ask questions <laughs> about this. Um, but uh, so we've we understand the space now. The in terms of the clientele, um, you talked about before that there were lots of, yeah. I guess so. That part of Connecticut, if you can help me understand, are there lots of people that live there that use it as a Commute, like a commuting town or absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely so you've got the um uh what's it called metro mta metro transit authority yeah yes yeah and then you've got the long island railroad so and then i think they probably went to new jersey but i never went there but anyway so the mta is sort of like the wider metropolitan area and it goes way up you know it kind of goes way up the hudson um and it's, you know, it's, it's quite accessible. I mean, but if you think about it, like, 
you know, the greater extents of um, of London are very suburban and very green and very lush. You know, if you go to like Epping or if you like to go to Bromley or, um, you know, some of the boroughs on the outer fringes are quite country-like. Mm. So it was kind of like being that, but it was a little bit more, uh, I think there was a term they used to use, which was the ex-suburban. So just the periphery of, of suburbia. That's kind of where we are. And and it did carry on a little bit further up. But like I said, there were a lot of people who maybe had, a, you know, a second home or a weekend home. Weekend homes were quite a big deal. That was quite a big thing. People would have these homes and they would go up to Connecticut at the weekend. They would have a place up there at the weekend and then they would probably have a place downtown during the week. So that was not, um, you know, that was not um, any, any, it was not a major big deal other than if you then wanted to start dating, it would mean that they weren't around for most of the time, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but then also, like I said, there was also quite a, a, a kind of an, an, a niche sort of local community as well. So it was a real convergence of kind of like, it was sort of like Metro Savvy. That sounds really condescending talking because it sounds really us and them, like city, city queers and country queers. But it was a really interesting mix. Like I said, you know, there are a lot of people who were local, but they were really, you know, they were on a trajectory. They were working full time. They were going to college. They were looking at kind of film school or they were professional. They were semi-professional or some maybe had moved out of the city because they'd been there already. Um, and I found that really interesting as somebody who was like, get me into the city as quickly as possible because I want to go down to the East Village and be a proper queer. I just found, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I found that whole kind of like provincial queerness something really intriguing that really intrigued me. That is interesting, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, I, yeah, I had the same kind of experience as you, I guess. It's just like, get me out of this small town. I need to move somewhere bigger and I need to like experience these queer clubs and like really do this. Let's do it properly. Um, and then there were people that, uh, in the yes. town where I grew up who were just quite happy to, yes, to be there. And it was like, what is, I what is wrong never, with you? <laughs> I know. I never understood it. I was thinking about a friend of mine the other day and, and you know, just super quickly, he was a year above me. He was really great. He was he was really good. He excelled at art, and I really looked up to him. And he was clearly queer. And we kind of like made you know all those teenage references that you do without actually mentioning yourselves, for, you know, because it was still quite a dark time. The late eighties was still quite a dark time to come out, especially if you were mm -hmm. a teenager. You know, to you have just, a so you just like started talking about the Golden Girls in order to. Oh no, we talk about Rhythm Nation. <laughs> oh okay <laughs> that's how you let him know we talked about the evolution of janet jackson from control to rhythm nation that was essentially it um and and i remember you know he was really good at art and he made amazing clothes he wanted to be a fashion designer and then i moved schools and like i said i went he left he left he graduated i then went to a um the comprehensive school and then I was in London, I mean, sorry, in Colchester, of all places. I can't remember why I was in, I was in this sort of social security. I can't remember what, I don't even know why I was in there. But anyway, I went to meet him to see if he would like to meet for coffee. And he was like, oh, you know, and as it turned out, we couldn't for whatever reason. But he was like, yeah, I'm not interested in going. I've got this job now. I'm not going anywhere. I'm fine. I don't want to go. And I was like, dude, you inspired me. You were like... <laughs> You you introduced me to Janet Jackson. You made a velvet glove <laughs> in your A-level fashion, no, A-level arts thing. And now you're going to work in the Social Security office. He was like, well, yeah, you know, it's a da -da -da. 
And I was like, I do not understand. And to this day, I kind of don't. I think, well, actually, having said that, of course, now I live in the countryside, so I can see why you kind of go back to it. And I can also see why people don't leave that. But it's all to do with being in the moment and sort of making the most of your situation, which... Yeah, I just, I mean, the thing, like, for me... Like I totally get that if you're heterosexual because like yes. you've don't you've not had any friction in your I'm sorry this is total total generalization but like you haven't you haven't felt like an outsider because of your sexual orientation and so it it would be easy for you to be like yeah yeah well this is good I fit in here but as a as a queer person I'm a bit like but like you you th- these this community has like alienated you your whole life like go and find your tribe like why are you yeah, just exactly. like hanging out here <laughs> absolutely um absolutely but yeah i mean different strokes different folks i don't know why indeed absolutely no no <laughs> I, I completely agree yeah i think you put that very succinctly i don't know it just, and it just seems somehow more kind of more sort of amplified especially in new york because you were that close to it and also as an outsider i would be like well you know hey why don't we all go into town next weekend so and, and they would be like what are you crazy i mean a lot of them but also, <laughs> we might get much <laughs> well it was less that but more of the fact that they were all so busy okay you know like i said these people if they were studying for a degree they would be working full time so actually the idea of free time was you know a kind of mystery to them they were like oh you know god i wish i had free weekends and you know it's things like that that made me kind of realize how lucky i had it i wasn't earning a huge amount of money but i had no overheads i had a car I, you know, I had no, I didn't have to pay for any food or board. All the money that I earned was purely recreational. I would squirrel that money away. I would either buy shoes or I would just have, you know, go on amazing weekends in in the city. How many shoes did you have to take home at the end of this year? 11 pairs of shoes I took home. Oh, oh, okay. That's not so bad. Oh, okay. Well, I, the hostels, that's a lot. Well, that's fine. I, feel well, I mean, that, that like that fits in a suitcase. I can like, you know. God, the suitcase. Oh, my God. And the rest. <laughs> there was so, so much stuff taken back at the end of that year. So much stuff. <laughs> okay, so we have a good idea of the clientele. Now let's get on to this bartender, shall we? <laughs> we can if you want. <laughs> what was his name? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, okay. let's, let's, call, let's call him something Dan um, He so might have been a Dan He could have been a Dan He could have been a Ralph Oh a Ralph That's an that's really an American Let's go with Ralph Let's go with Maybe Ralph. it's like Travis Oh Travis oh. His name is Ralph Okay yeah let's Travis just let's, let's, cool. let's, Yeah Travis I do like But let's You know we've, we've picked Ralph Let's go We're with gonna, Ralph So we, tell yeah, me about Ralph Um what can I say? Ralph was a, um, a very sweet barman who, you know, was very meek and mild and worked behind the bar at Triangle. And uh, we, our eyes, I kind of, I mean, it's so bizarre because um, I only recently kind of we thought about all these things. But we, um, I mean, we barely dated. I'll be completely frank. We barely dated. But there would have been, for me, see, for me, it would have been the whole seeing somebody and then having to kind of, work through that process of how am I going to, what am I going to say and how am I going to say it, you know? What, like overthinking and over-preparing? Oh, yes, and totally being sort of like 
110% in awe of this person. So like, oh, well, how am I? Oh, you know, oh, he's, yeah, he's not going to want to talk to me. All of that malarkey. Oh. You know, Ralph would have been, I don't know. Wait, I thought you were saying that you were like super confident this time. <laughs> yeah, I was, but that was just as. But Ralph was another level, was he? Yeah, I was super confident as a person, as a single person exploring the world and the universe. When it came to dating, dating men, I was still a blithering wreck. Okay. I didn't have sexual confidence. Okay. That, that did not come until much, much later. So that was, that was, I mean, it's interesting you say that. So, that, you know, it would be fraught because it's like, you know, I, I would have this sort of like, you know, joie de vivre. This is amazing. I'm in New York. It's fantastic. And then I would see a certain type of guy and I would be like, oh, my God, I'm completely obsessed. Who is this person? And <laughs> talk to them. They are the meaning of my life. That is why I'm here, you know. Um, so I'd really have to take myself aside and have a good talking to. Um, I didn't really deal with sort of men and sex in a really confident way until I was in my mid to late 20s, definitely. Uh. definitely. But I still had some fun. But also, you know, there's something kind of innocent and naive about that whole, hey, you know, I mean, it sounds pathetic, but I sort of like the mental foreplay of meeting guys. And then, of course, as soon as you meet them, it's like, I never need to see this person again in my life ever. <laughs> I believe I've just spent six months fantasizing about this person. Hold up, wait, what? You're Oh, you're you're pathetic. Yeah. Huh? I know uh-huh. all about that. Um, uh, but so, so, so when, how did you get to be climbing out of his window? Well, um, obviously Ralph was, uh, when eventually I did speak to him, um, he was hugely taken aback and was super excited. Um, and there was clearly a frisk bump. And um, he had no car because he would usually get a car back. He would usually get a ride back with his, I don't know, colleague or whatever. And I was like, oh, dude, I have a car. I could drive you back to your place. <laughs> so we went right back to his place. And then we started, you know, making out in the car. And, yes, it was one of those heady nights of walking out on a hot, sticky summer night mm. from the to the car, getting in the car, driving him back to his, having another hot, sticky night, uh, having a hot, sticky moment in the car, and then him sort of, you know, get, totally getting swept away with it, and him saying, would you want to come in? And, of course, you're like, well, yeah, sure. And he's like, well, you have to be really careful because I live with my mom and my dad and my sister <laughs> and my little brother, Tommy, and little and you're like, oh, Okay. So, you know, we went through, we got into the house um, through the front door. That was fine. But then one thing led to another, and, you know, it was quite a long time later. And then I had to climb out of his window to get out. Go back oh. to the car. But not because someone was, like, coming in or anything, just because... His mother was around, yes. And uh-huh. I think that was the thing. It was like, there's something I need to tell you. And you're like, oh, you want to spend the rest of my life with me? The rest of your life with me? The rest of my life with me? The rest of your life with me? And he was like, no, my mother doesn't know I'm gay. You need to get out the window. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why so would was... you take... Why would you... Oh, Ralph. I know, take... poor old Ralph. But, you know, that was... We, we, well, we've all kind of been there in some way, shape or form. Yeah, no, but not you. Like, you've just finished telling me, like, you were super cautious and super by the rules. If you hadn't told your mum that you were gay, then you wouldn't be bringing someone back. Well, interesting. Yes, oh, maybe that's oh, not... Oh, is this an... Oh, am I going to get a story That's a whole other revelation. I think, well, I don't know. It's interesting that you say that. I may have to find him now. I may have to go back to him and ask him that question. 
Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit weird, and and I sort of remember thinking, so you work in a gay bar, and you know you're you see guys and you let them bring you home, but you're you're not out to your your parents. And I was like, oh, cool, you know, cool. That's that's the reality. That you know, I mean, you see that in films, though. You see that. Let's look at Heather's when. Um, you know, Kristen Slater climbs in through that window of, uh, she's not Sigourney Weaver, she's the other one. Winona Ryder. Thank you, Winona Ryder, you know. Well, it was a big deal, you know, I thought, for me, again, that sort of added to the excitement, because it was like, I am literally in an American teen movie climbing out of some <laughs> window without their house and run to my car without being caught. And he loves me so much that he brought me he to his, his house, friend. like, regardless house. of the risks. Yeah. Now I'm never going to speak to him again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, so what? So you had like one one thing with Ralph, and then that was it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. And as I'm saying this, I think I, I think maybe that was. I don't think, if I'm honest with you, I had any. Oh no! The first time I was in the states, ninety-one to ninety-two, I don't think I had a sexual rendezvous until I was at the end of that year, and I got to San Francisco, and then I was like a rabbit, basically. <laughs> but isn't that weird? That, that whole year, I don't think anything happened in that whole year. Because sometimes when I look back on it, and I kind of think, oh yeah, it was then. It was like, no, 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 that was the next year. So sometimes I'll think about something that happened, and I'll get the kind of the years muddled up. Because they were kind of close together. But anyway, that's kind of boring. But yeah, no, it's interesting sort of mapping out the, 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 the friendships of that first year and how that worked out. That was much more nanny-orientated, shall we say, than the second year, which was much more... It was pretty spread out. I had, the, I had my Connecticut crew from, the, um, from Triangles, and we would hang out a lot, and that would be fun. And then, um, you know... I remember, I remember an amazing Halloween party. I remember amazing house parties up in, in these little towns. Um, and then from that, I had this, not a relationship, but I had a friendship with a guy called Stefan, who in hindsight, I think we really fancied each other, but neither of us actually said anything. And he would come over on Friday nights and we would watch movies after the kids had gone to bed because it was Friday night, it was date night for the parents. And he, you know, he talked like a film a New York film student and I'd studied film studies a little bit so we both had these overblown egos and this whole kind of parlance which I think we both got a kick out of. I think maybe we went into the city once together but nothing really happened and it, you know and again it was one of those things where you look back and you think oh he was that's why he kept calling up and coming round <laughs> it was like oh, so ridiculous but then also there was a whole East Side scene. So I would go down, my beeline would be to the boiler room of the East Village. Mm -hmm. So I got there in August of 95. So it's hot, sticky. And I'm also, don't forget, the previous nanny, whose role I am sort of assuming, it, she's still there. So we had a bit of an overlap. Um, oh. To help the kids out and also just to kind of, you know, keep it cool. So yeah, but she, she was. But she was fired. She was a wild child. Well, she wasn't fired. She was just a bit of a wild child, and they had just kind of gotten to the end of the, their tether with her. So, so she was. So she was fired. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to say she was fired, but she was totally at the end of her. She was terminated? She was mildly terminated. <laughs> I think you say she was mildly terminated. She was definitely the end of, of she was definitely the end of her contract. Let's put it that way. Okay. Or the contract was changed, so she was leaving. Anyway, I mean she was great, but she was a wild child. I mean, she took me to places in New York that was was that amazing. And that was also helped me move forward in terms of my social life in New York City. Um she would take me to Don Hills, which was down in what what is what was the meatpacking district. Now it's like Disney World, but um, and, and it was a long. It had been open for years. I think you know it had been there for years, and it was owned by this one guy, Don Hill. And and on Friday nights was the most incredible queer part. It was amazing. It was like turning up a ducky. You know what I mean? Mm. Back back in the day, well, as it still would be now, but you know what I mean. It's like you go, you you just turn up in this club, and it would be like you know there would be an amazing. It's the first time I kind of experienced militant um, drag king lesbianism, and they these rock and roll dudes, and I thought they were guys, and they were. It turned out they were lesbian, like hardcore, like cross dressing lesbians, drag kings, um, or, or however they identified at the time, and it was just amazing. And they play, you know, it wasn't like clubby like techno-y they played really good rock music and it was a really rocky vibe and it was really queer as fuck and it was 1995 and it was the 90s and we were down in the fucking meatpacking district and it was amazing and you would just get so drunk and so hot and sticky and then somehow make your I'm a lot more often than not I would make my way home and as I'm saying that it um absolutely mortified to think that I would be drunk and then get the last possible train home and then drive back from the station. <gasps> Praying that nobody stopped me. I got stopped once having a dodgy light. I was so relieved. Oh my God, I was so lucky. But yeah, oh, if I got too pissed, I would then try and find somebody to see with. <laughs> but we've all been there, haven't we? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that's good motivation to hook up. But so yeah. the... So the train home. So you'd catch the train from the city to like. To be fair, end you, would try, you would Yeah, well, not quite the end of the line. It was not. No, actually, not the end of the line at all. Really, it was just really. Um, like the further you go out of the main, of, you know, when you get on a sort of local train going out of the city, the further you go out, the more distant the towns become. And um, so, sort of like White Plains, and then you'd have there's a town called Valhalla. And there would be like Pleasantville, and then you would have Chappaqua, and then you would have Mount Kisco. And Mount Kisco was kind of like the end of the local town network. And then it would be like the next town would be quite a way away. That would be, I couldn't remember, what, I couldn't even tell you what it was called. Brewster mm-hmm. North. It would end up in a town called Brewster North, which was far, far, far up to 684. But people would still commute from there. And it was what, well, that would be like an hour and a half, maybe an hour and a half. Um, so yes. So the how and then how long would you drive when you got when you got off the train? I know this is this is detailed. Oh, I don't need to know. Literally, but... literally five minutes. So why but there's no walk? because there's no sidewalks. There was no sidewalks, and it was far enough for it to be a fag to walk. But it was. I mean, it was. It wasn't really five minutes. It was probably more like a, a five to ten minute drive. Um, along really kind of crazy, woody, dark, pitch black roads with no sidewalks. Nobody walked. Nobody walks. Nobody walks. Wow. Nobody walks. Okay. There's no sidewalks, so you can't walk. There's no pavements. 
Yeah, so really that, I mean, that... So really part, they wanted you to drink and drive. Kind of, that's the weird thing about the culture. That's the kind of weird... <laughs> well, no, it's true. I mean, if you got back after 11, you couldn't get a cab. I remember getting back, um, I think it was when I'd been to... I'd been travelling, so I came back, and I got back to Mount Kisco Station, and it was just before midnight, and there were no cabs. The cabs had gone home. I went to the police station, and I said, look, there's no cabs, and can you give me a ride back? And they were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe I didn't call up Steph or John, even if it was the middle of the night and ask. But anyway, we, I can't remember why that happened. But yeah, I remember getting a, a ride back with the police. So yes, you have this kind of strange sort of um, unaccepted rules things, which everybody must have been doing or was doing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. But, anyway, sorry, that's just like detail. I don't need to know, as I said. So triangles, I'm just having a look at the... We're back triangles, we haven't even got to the boiler room yet. Well, just looking at the review on the website. Um, on their, <laughs> like, they, they've is this still there? So triangles is three bars in one with three unique experiences for our customers. Whether you want to dance the night away on our 500 square foot dance floor, have a quiet drink with friends in our intimate billiards lounge, or relax and enjoy our Thank outdoor... You. It was a billiards bar. lounge. Yes. <laughs> 66 Sugar Hollow. Oh my God. Yes, there is. I can't, I can't. Why didn't I look this up? Why didn't I look this up? Oh, and they have movie nights, karaoke, and stripper nights. Do you remember any yes. of those? Maybe. Yes. Wait. Karaoke, did you, yes. Did you perform at the stripper no, nights? No, 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 no. Oh my God. It's all that. Oh, bless your heart. The place is closed. <laughs> yeah. No, the yes. place is closed. Yes. That's why we're talking it about it. Okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's shut down. I wonder what happened. The decor could have been improved, but I really enjoyed my time there. The music was decent. The crowd was fun. I had a good time every time. Danbury has oh. lost a great cornerstone. Well, it has. If you want me to talk about urban regeneration, that's this is now the segue for that. But we won't. Mm. Well, can we just can we just keep reading these reviews for the time being? Because I quite enjoy I quite enjoy when people leave kind of weird reviews on, on these websites. So this person has given it two stars. She's she's only checked in once. Um, but is that L? You're looking at L. Oh yeah, she's I'm looking at L. She's See, this from, is it. She's from, so she's from Astoria. So she's is, too cool. Is that what you're saying? Well, Astoria is Long Island. Like it's just maybe Queens. So it's 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 sort of like the wrong side of outside of town i think i can say that with some kind of confidence please you know tell me otherwise so, so, she, so we don't trust her like, we don't trust her no because okay. she's from astoria so she's not even going into manhattan you know it's like why is she going to danbury to, to go to a to go to a, a gay bar well Do you know what I, mean? I mean she Maybe does she does say that considering i usually pay nine to twelve dollars a drink in new york city so she does go to new york city my bartender, oh, that. my yes. bartender was burly and pleasant, and in general, the place was a chill vibe with little shade. Don't get me wrong; everybody was reading, but they generally kept it to themselves, except in the bathroom where the library was in session. <laughs> oh, she's watched too much Drag Race. Oh, is that a um, right? Okay, I think it's a Paris is Burning thing, isn't it? Say, right, okay. I say the best thing that could happen to this place is if they sashay away the DJ. Cre- oh no! Please. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. 
So, and then, so let's move on to Franklin. It can be hit or miss. Sometimes you go and the place is dead with little going on. Other times it can be crowded and a lot of fun. True story. True story. Wow, I mean, that's just so insightful. Well, no, but, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, like, you know, a lot of people would have travelled a long time to, you know, to get, like, I would drive an hour. So, you know, you're driving an hour to go to a bar where there's five people in there. Oh, that's just so, so that you, that's Just so you could be in a gay bar. Oh, Let's, let's look, look at the one from EB from 2008. What with its proximity to demographically divergent Fairfield, Putnam, Westchester, Litchfield and Dutchess counties, Triangles Ta-da. draws a surreal combination of young, just off the plane, just Brazilians, the plane Brazilians. 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 <laughs> established, gay, established elders, gay elders, children, children of, of the ice storm. The ice storm, yes. Do you so know what, what that reference is? Well, I know the film, The Ice Storm. Is that what? Yes, I think that that's what it's about. Because The Ice Storm was set in a particular part of New York, which is uh-huh. Westchester, which is this whole area. So it's trees and big houses. Okay, okay. And trees and big houses and Volvos. Okay, as well. okay so, so Children yeah. of the Ice children Storm. Storm. Prosperous yeah. guppies. Guppies, that's what De- I'm talking oh. about. It says guppies. Um, anyway, hard scrabble bears. What's a what's a hard scrabble bear? So first of all, okay, a guppy is a gay yuppie. Oh, oh, okay, sorry. Oh, that's oh, I should uh, know. Probably they've only given it two stars. Um, hard scrabble bears. I think what that means is hard scrabble is like you know, scarp like a proper country, like proper sort of. Um, they'd have a kind of checkered shirt, burly. So like they play scrabble in a really aggressive way. Yes, they play scrabble in a really aggressive okay. way, really hard way. Yeah. Uh, expat New Yorkers and closeted married yeah. guys who generally yeah. work the louche parking lot rather than venturing inside. This is so, I can't. I tell you what, your 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 research is pucker. This is exactly. This is this could not have rounded it up more. Well, it goes on. Although the music often sucks, the multifarious crowd makes its own fun by drinking lots and striking up conversations. Yeah. I don't understand what the next sentence says. That was really friendly. Conversation. Smokers and Rihanna refugees will welcome the large enclosed outdoor space. What's a Rihanna refugee? I think he means pot smokers. But what? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Rihanna likes to smoke weed, doesn't she? But this is 2008. Yeah. Was, oh, was Rihanna around then? Is that what you're saying? Well, is it Rihanna that, that they're oh, referring it's a to? It's spelling. You are correct. You see, again, I'm going to look that, look that shit up. <laughs> no, I think he means Rihanna. When did she start that? That's a whole other thing. But anyway, why would you be a refugee um, of Rihanna? Anyway. Well, I think they're just trying to be vague because, you know, it's about weed. And it was 2008 before legalization. So, Well, anyway, thank you. Now, now I want to know when Rihanna started her um, career. But anyway, um, large enclosed outdoor space. Yes, I remember that. Festive in Mormon. Totally. It was it was great. It was amazing. It was amazing. Not as good as <laughs> the boiler room. But it was a different experience than the boiler room. But that's, um, so what would you say were the main differences then? Well, um, the boiler room was a sleazy East Village, <laughs> possibly the friendliest bar I've ever been to. Actually, it wasn't even that sleazy. It kind of, it didn't, no, it was the most friendly, easygoing, welcoming, queer as fuck 
We ain't taking no shit from anybody else. Don't give me no heteronormative bullcrap. Yes, come in for happy hour. We will watch Xena on the TV at six. I think it was six thirty or seven o'clock the Saturday night, and I would be there. I would be there most Saturday nights. I would go down to the boiler room, watch Xena, be there in time for happy hour, and then have a couple of long, very long, because everything's served with a lot of ice, uh, vodka tonics. Um, and then I might even get home at a respectable hour, you know, or I would just stay and play as, as to And now that was also a second home. So I had, tri- oh my God, it's all in a year. I had triangles, which was sort of like haven of Westchester, um, parochial country, uh, you know, um, life as it were, the good life version. And then there was, there was the boiler room downtown, which offered so much more and was also so much more exciting because you were actually in Manhattan. You were down, you were in the East, you were where it's at. You were in Alphabet Street. You were maybe near Tompkins Square Park where you may want to go and, you know, score some weed or smoke weed or you would, you know, be a Rihanna refugee. Be a Rihanna refugee. <laughs> pop over the road to someone's apartment and have a quick shimmy and then go back to the bar or you'd go to the amazing diner where um, uh, Quentin Crispy sang out um, and eat all his food, all his meals. Or you would go to one of the many other local bars, which would be amazing. And I have to say, the ni- 1996 Pride in New York was was amazing. And I had a boyfriend who I met in Mapisco. I had found this guy who I'd spent months being a totally obsessed, well, in love with, in lust with. And he used to hang out at the Starbucks cafe in Mount Kisco, which at the time, you know, Starbucks was young and innocent then. So we thought it was new and exciting and unusual. So we'd all go and hang out there. There was another independent coffee shop, but we didn't go there quite so often because we didn't quite have the same amount. But anyway, <laughs> and we would go and we would, and eventually one day I summoned up, because I knew he had to be queer. I knew he had to be queer because he just had such a great wardrobe, you know. Oh, that's obvious, and, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, especially in you know in in the in the burbs, you know somebody somebody bleaching their hair blonde color and then dyeing it green like like they kind of do now you know that kind of washed out colored hair thing yeah that the kids are doing he was doing that back in the nineties oh Mikey um, anyway so one day I summed up the c- c- courage to ask him if he was uh, batting for the same team as mine and fancied to escorting me to pride in the city and he was like sure that sounds great so we went in and had a time of our lives and um and this was all like through various people i'd met at the boiler room uh we just went from one party to the next we stayed at my friend ferguson john's they were dynamite um i mean it was just like after if you go to a bar a couple of times you start being, I mean, it was like this, and I hope it's still like this now. Maybe it is in some places. You kind of start being a bit familiar, you know. And, and what was amazing was sort of how easy and also yet how genuine some of these quite, like, fleeting relationships were, but they would be, like, really intense. And, and maybe, like, for me, I always thought that maybe part of that liberation is is about living five or 6,000 miles away from home and not having to deal with... The fact that you, you know, the, the, 
the sort of lingering terrors of your childhood with you wherever you go when you when you live at home when you move yourself <laughs> geographically five thousand away you know you just, there's nothing to bump into you are significantly removed from yourself that you kind of take another you take on another version of yourself that's that's how I feel it that's how I feel I I experienced it and again with this newfound confidence it was just and yeah i think by the end of that year there's definitely a huge significant sexual confidence shift in me it was still a bit fraught but i had a really good time and and hanging out in the boiler room and, the, and just the i remember there because i was there on my birthday sorry i'm going off on one there but i was there <laughs> on my birthday it was the week before christmas and i'd gone in specifically to go to the boiler room and just have a giggle and some uh, there were some kind of party going on there anyway and luscious who was the bar um kind of i don't know what would you say mother shall we say um last time i saw luscious they were running a bar in silver lake in la they all moved out to la um a few years in the late 90s anyway they were like, you know, hey, hey, you know, hey, dear, what are you doing here? Um, I was like, well, you know, I'm from out of town. I just come down, found the boiler room. I really want to start, you know, this is, I just, I've moved here. I'm English and it's my birthday. <laughs> and before I knew it, everybody just leapt upon me. And that was when I first discovered Jägermeister. And um, it got me absolutely shit-faced on Jägermeister. And we just had a good time. And then it was just like, boom, that was it. This is what I'm going back to. Every week after then, it was like, this is, these are my people. This is my home in the city. And it was great. It was absolutely amazing. Oh, I've scribbled this down. So it might not, it might not be of any relevance. You said you saw a pageant at Triangles. I did. It was a Halloween fancy dress competition. And like a drag, so it wasn't drag then, it was just... No, it wasn't drag. There were, I think maybe there were a couple of drag. There was some very clever drag. There was some very good, you know, from from the guppies and the, you know, the, uh, the, the newly residing in the local sort of New York. And it, you know, that's what I mean. It was, it was an interesting clientele because it was um, a really kind of broad mix of people who were there. And, and I remember there was a really great sort of young, sort of academic-looking lesbian who dressed up as a paraglider, complete with, <laughs> complete with the parachute, sort of up and behind her. Um, I also remember dancing to Mariah Carey that night. Um, I didn't win. I went dressed as the devil, which is somewhat predictable. Yeah. Um, I remember there being a berry guy there, but I can't remember what he came as. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't surprising. It was surprisingly not drag draggy. And I think also, again, that was kind of like what appealed to me because there was a, a sort of broader sense of humour, broader kind of notion of the culture, which I find so difficult to kind of get on with now. Is this concentric RuPaul drag race culture of queerness, which we seem to have now got ourselves into? Um, what does it so you think what sorry sorry what do you mean what i think is and this is gonna this might sound a bit weird or controversial or whatever i feel like there was a, a greater sense of liberation then and i really miss that and i feel like a lot of younger queers don't necessarily not that I would recommend it. Not, you know, obviously one celebrates the fact that the point is kids don't need to kind of have to deal with that, but some people do and they deal with it in horrible ways. I just think that then 
it was a pinnacle of, of a time, you know, a pinnacle of sort of real kind of shifting in, in ideology. The 90s was trans, totally transformative. I don't know if I said this already, but they were. it was a real shift in terms of thinking. It sort of went from being a kind of marginal, still a quite marginal cultural community to being a real kind of dominant and especially kind of consumer force. Like a, it created its own capital. Pig pound was very much something that people talked about. And it was when there was also a kind of counterculture to that. And Mark Simpson wrote a book called Anti-Gay, which was all about how gay had been kind of consumed by capitalism and been turned into a, a lifestyle rather than a sexual uh, identity. Um, and it was really exciting to be involved and part of these conversations which were happening right now, which really sort of defined how, especially for those of us who really identified as being queer, and I gave us a sort of sense of justification for that. So a lot of these venues have been there for some time and are still very kind of, are somehow entrenched in the scene. But at the same time, there is still an idea that there is a sort of deviance around them, but at the same time, they are much more acceptable. And so this is also a time when there was a whole idea of like having a bridge and tunnel crowd in Manhattan. New York was amazing during the 90s and people came like people came from all over the place and from like the burb beyond the burbs from all over the states as well would come to these bars and it was just i don't know it was the beginning of something so i was saying what i felt then was that i had much more of a kind of right of passage to find my sexual identity and i feel right now that sexual identity is something that is given to you and this is how you do it. You kind of get it with a manual. And I think as much as that's great, on the one hand, if you choose to accept it, you do not have to go down the really tricky routes that perhaps we went down before. But what I, what I think is, is difficult is when people don't want to subscribe to that. How do you, you know, you then, you, you, you've ultimately, you've somehow been splintered from that. And I've, you know, I, I feel like people should be able to find their own way and it so, should not be prescribed. So, so uh, are you trying to say that like in the past, everyone had to forge their own path and therefore it was kind yes. of more authentic and now you kind of get a manual that's like, this is what yes. you do. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Okay. Ah, uh, was I don't know. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, no, about. it makes sense, and like I, I can appreciate. Um, I guess what you're trying to say that, well, what I think you're trying to say that, like, uh, it's, it's more authentic if it's something that you've worked out on your own, rather than something you've been told to do. Um, but can't you kind of like, you know, it's like watching a YouTube tutorial video for how to like cut your own hair or something like you're not going and like learning from, uh, you know, you're not kind of going through lots of mistakes in order to learn how to cut hair. You're, you know, skipping a bunch of steps, but you can still then kind of put your own flair on it, right? Um, yes. I mean, I think you can. I think it depends on how you even get to the point where you're creating the flair. And I think that, you know, one of the tricky issues that we have especially within the context of a, of, of, of a tea being, and, you know, as it should be a much widely accessible and talked about notion of, of, of sexuality um, and gender, 
And I feel like sometimes it's we are much quicker to create and sort of trap people into a pigeonhole mm. than to allow people to go through a really fluid post process until like, you know, over a period of like years, decades even, to find a kind of mean. I feel like we expect and we also expect people to have the decisions made so that then everybody else can basically conform as quickly as possible and we can get on like there's no issue thank you very much yeah. you know and yeah. my 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 career experience is not about that my career experience is, is still happening around me and evolving as opposed to it being something prescribed to me at an early age right you are now 21 you are now a fully fledged gay man and you can go and do whatever you like and you can really act and assimilate to straight culture because it's not really an issue and then you can have a really quiet life thank you very much well I think that brings along a whole other bunch of issues which people don't even want to talk about, let alone can talk about now. Because I just think that you can never prescribe what is going on with your life because things change so rapidly and so quickly, both in your mind and in the world around you. And I find it really, you know, I find it quite sad that queer identity has become so boring and yet so bloody factional as well we're supposed to be at the top end of the cultural pyramid telling everybody else how to do their shit and it feels like now we've kind of lost our shit a bit but anyway that's the whole different story yeah i don't know i don't know if like there's i i i, I do kind of see what you're saying and kind of agree with what you're saying but at the same time like for those queer kids who are 14 who like don't really know what's going on i think it's much better for them to have some kind of touch points to be like, oh, okay, okay, I get this. Oh, okay, yeah. this is kind yeah. of explained here. And yeah, there is problems with putting things in boxes and therefore putting people in boxes. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I mean, as a, as a cisgendered white man who kind of had it easy in terms of coming out, um, I'm probably not in the best position to talk about this, but um, knowing that kids who have it worse than I did have that uh, the materials to be signposted to or yeah. to find themselves, Absolutely. I think it's really reassuring. But I think there's a difference in I think there's a difference between uh, signposting and creating dominant. Uh, yeah, there's a and you yeah. know, yes, exactly. I think that it should. Uh, well, for me, it, I love the nuance anyway, and I just feel like it could be. You know, we could embrace nuance a lot more than we do now. I feel like yeah. there's a lot less nuance now. Humans are dumb, though. Nuance. Like, we yeah, to, we are. We have to accept totally. that. Like, we need to put things in boxes and then have big flashing signs around them yeah, we for need people mother... to be like, "Oh, okay, I get this." Exactly. We need Mother Nature to give us a pandemic to bring us down the notch, so we don't keep trying to destroy them and if we don't follow our heart then it's our last chance anyway that's another well, that's thing. another story, that's a whole other story. <laughs> anyway let's go back to new york in the heady 90s did you ever go to triangles in connecticut well if you did i would love to hear from you please share any stories or anecdotes or photos through social media. You can find me on most platforms. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and the rest with the user handle K Anderson Music. 
And you can also find out more about Timberlina by visiting her website, timberlina.co.uk. And also, Timberlina hosts her own podcast called Live from Rye, which you can hear on all good podcast platforms. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast, but a concept record as well. I've been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there and will be releasing songs over the coming year and a bit. You can hear the first single, Well Groomed Boys, which is also playing underneath my talking right now on all good streaming platforms. If you like this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on Apple Podcasts, or just told someone who you think might be interested in having a listen to. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening.